Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Community Pulse. We are broadcasting live from Plural Site Link, which has been a lot of fun. And we brought together some friends to chat today about DevRel, which I know is a super broad topic. But as a lot of us know, we have been changing and evolving kind of over the course of DevRel history, uh, both in the day-to-day -day responsibilities and also in the identity of what DevRel is. Uh, we've had external influences as well as internal influences that have really changed what the definitions are, what the expectations are, what our roles are, for better and for worse. Uh, so in this episode, we'll talk a little bit about what's working, what's not working, and how we can move forward to a future where DevRel makes sense. You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast. Welcome your host, Mary Thangval, Jason Hand, PJ Haggerty, and Wesley Faulkner. So I think this, this is going to be a fun one. I think there's a, a lot of topics and a lot of things to touch on. Um, so I think that it probably, let, let's just get straight to our guests. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? So we'll start with Ben. Hello. It's really, really great to be here. I'm Ben uh, Greenberg. I work at a company called Parity Technologies uh, based in Germany, but I live in Israel. And I help lead the advocacy vertical in our DevRel team. Awesome. Uh, my name is Mia Moore. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I work for a company called Comunda that's also based out of Germany. I also do not live in Germany. I live in Austin, Texas. And my role is the senior technical community builder, so I'm on more of the community building side of DevRel. Uh, I'm Jason Langsdorf. I just like screeched in off the off stage. So <laughs> thanks for letting me join late. Um, I run a company called Learn With Jason. I do uh, content for hire, and I'm based in Portland, Oregon. Awesome. And we all have had different experience with developer relations, and some of it in terms of the way that it works now is screamingly like wrong that we all see, but people who aren't in the industry may not understand or be very apparent. Um, for me personally, it's like one of the things is that people who hire for DevRel aren't in DevRel or doesn't, don't have DevRel experience. I just wanted to try to go down the line and kind of like tease out some of the things that you know that you see that really shows that we really need to fix some of this stuff. Let's, let's start with you, Jason. Um, I, I think one of the biggest problems in, that I've noticed in DevRel teams is that the definition of DevRel seems to be made up by each company individually. And it's, it's sometimes the person has done DevRel in the past that's building the team, and then they build a team that is like a mirror of their skill set times however many people they can get headcount for, mm. uh, which is problematic in and of itself. Other times it is, you know, DevRel as defined by somebody who's never done it or been part of a company that has a DevRel team. And so they tend to do whatever they can piece together by looking around, which is typically like, well, it's basically marketing, right? But they're nerds. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> I, and, I, I just cringed a bit. I, I, I mean, it's, it, and it, re, it truly is like it's such a it's such a rough, like because we we haven't def ever defined this. There's no there's nowhere you can go and get a, a unified definition of what to look for in a DevRel team. And and I also my current argument is that there's no such thing as a DevRel team. There is the DevRel augment, and it's made of like 15 different skill sets, and you mm -hmm. probably don't need all of them in your company. So you have to build a bespoke DevRel team, which means you need an understanding of 
what it could do, what your strengths and weaknesses are as a team, and where you need that that extra fill. Um, and that is ultimately what nobody's doing. And I think that's led to a lot of folks just kind of winging it and usually with, with lackluster results. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, if I could add to that, I feel like sometimes um, I come from marketing. I come from content marketing. That's my background. And there's a, such a distinct difference to me in DevRel and marketing, but they also work together a lot of the time. So I think it's important to have like that healthy relationship, but also understand who's driving what parts. Um, and I think, too, I've seen it where a company hiring will look at how many Twitter followers you have or if you have a successful YouTube channel. And at that point, you're just hiring an influencer. Right. And that's completely different. I have many thoughts about this. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all do. Um, and, you know, it's not to say, like, if you have a lot of Twitter followers, you're not qualified. It's nothing like that. It's just you're looking at the wrong metrics for success. Um, the other red flag to me is not considering that uh, non-technical folks can be on the DevRel team as someone who's non-technical. Um, I really appreciate companies that have a fuller understanding of all the different pieces and how to get the right people in those roles. But I, I've, I've seen a lot where when I was job hunting, they're like, well, we're really looking for someone who could also do demos and also do this and also basically do it all. Um, and that's that's just a red flag to me to be like, well, this is my skill set. This is what I have to bring. And they go, well, that's not what we're looking for. Mm. Or we're looking for that plus everything else. Um, it's like, okay, never mind. We're not aligned on on the strategy of, of what you're trying to do. Right. I, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because I'll, often you'll see a job description and the job description will be like, hey, we're looking for someone who's a content writer. And then when you get in the actual interview process, right. it's like, hey, gotcha. We also want you to be able to code. Yep. It's like, <laughs> well, hold, hold up. What does that have to do with the thing here's, that... Here's the list of yeah. 20 different expectations right. you have for me. There's and a, you're like, this is five jobs. jobs. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Three yeah. jobs. Yes. DevRel, yes. it's three jobs and a trench coat. And it is, but also like you have to pick three of the 15, right? Right. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't give me all 15 and... and that's just not possible for any one person to be all those things all the time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just echoing exactly what they both just said. I completely agree with everything. In addition to that, I really think that DevRel is an interstitial role in that it sits in between all these different aspects of a company and understanding and narrowing down what it is that you need from a DevRel team in a company. I've noticed a lot of companies have not done that pre-work of mm -hmm. why do we need a DevRel team? What is the advantages? What are the benefits mm -hmm. that we're looking to gain by creating a DevRel team? In the context in which I've lived for the past few years, there's a lot of startups where I live and a lot of startups are told by their funders you need to have a DevRel team. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And oh, then wow, how many times have I sat with a CTO or a CEO who said, Ben, can I sit with you to get pick your brain on, on DevRel for us? Well, and I would say, what are you looking for? And we don't know. Mm -hmm. the, the funder said we need this and, right. and I need to explore this. Well, and now it's going even earlier than that. I'm, I'm getting a lot of contact from people who are like, in, a, in the current Y Combinator class, you don't even have a product, and you're reaching out to me to say, what sort of DevRel strategy should I build? Oh, wow. Huh. How about you build a product? Let's start with that. Mm -hmm. You can't really have a community if you don't have anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of companies don't have a solid definition of done. So let's have a right. definition of done and then maybe also have a definition of DevRel. Mm -hmm. Right? Let's let's create some of the structures around here. I think that would that kind of clarity would help reduce some of the frictions mm -hmm. that if from the get-go, from the initial start of the formation of the team, you understood why you were created, what is your origin story mm -hmm. for why you exist as a team? Yeah. And if you have a good origin 
origin story, you can always hearken back to that and start creating some of the pipelines of success and metrics, understanding what matters to your team if you understand why you were there. If you don't even know why you were there, you have no origin story, That all that kind of cascades from there right. problematically. Right. Well, I, I think a little bit of it steps also on the, on the problem that you see in startups in general or, or in the VC culture where people are trying to create a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And when you create a solution for a problem that doesn't exist, you'll continue to find other ways to get resources that don't fit the bill. So like I've, I've worked with companies before that are like, cool, so we made this thing, this thing does this for people, they don't know if they want it or not yet, doesn't really matter, we've got a DevRel team, we want you to come in and do DevRel. I'm like, well, who am I, who am I, who am I relating to? Who are the developers that I'm relating to? Because you don't have an open source product. You don't have an API. You don't have anything that anyone needs. You built a uh, an app that finds poop in San Francisco. No one needs this. Yeah, oh, it's, well, it's, it's easy would, to find. I would okay, well, it's, 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 uh, There is a specific <laughs> niche use there. That's a so whole other podcast. Can I? That's for the after pulse. I have a. I have maybe a, a like sharp left turn here, but I have. I have. You said you'd be spicy, Jason. So I'm, I'm counting on. Well, you. I mean, my my spicy take is that I, I just think everybody's like not hiring well for, for DevRel. I think that m- what most people Keep should... Keep in mind be. that Mary hires for DevRel. What? Before you say <laughs> no, and, Well, actually, I'm, I'm, Mary hired I'm honestly, I'm, I'm really curious to see if, if, this, is, if this is something that, that Mary would agree with. But I, I have noticed that when a lot of companies are hiring DevRel, they're thinking about the influencers and they're also thinking about content. And so for a lot of companies, what they're, they're hiring... What they say is DevRel, and what they're hiring is a content writer. Mm. And they don't understand that. So then they get confused when they're like, but what, if we want to run a hackathon, how come you can't run that? It's like, because yeah. I'm a content writer, right? I'd even take that a step back. They don't even understand what content is. Mm. Well, and, and this I is mean, the like, other problem, right? Is like, So I, I've watched companies kind of come in and say, we want a DevRel team, and then they basically hand them a list of SEO terms mm-hmm. and say, "Make oh, us yeah. rank for that." That sounds yeah. familiar, Jay. And right, right, <laughs> and and then <laughs> later, when the DevRel team wants to do something else, or like, why are our DevRels all quitting? Because like, aren't they doing DevRel when we give them this list of SEO mm-hmm. terms? It's like, oh no, not at all. Yeah. Um, but you, <laughs> the I think a little personal to me personally. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is this is sort of like it, the, I, I've watched this happen in in a few different teams. Um, but this is actually more of my, my left turn here, which is that I do think that early stage startups should have DevRel, but I don't think that it looks like what we're, what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree to that. Yeah. I, I think that one of the highest value things that a DevRel provides is that typically people who are coming into DevRel are doing it through a pretty circuitous career path. And that means that they're bringing a really broad perspective mm-hmm. to a company. And so I've always thought of DevRel as kind of the island of misfit toys. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. DevRel well, is where you can send a project that doesn't fit elsewhere in the organization. Mm-hmm. You can send, like, I don't know, maybe we want to build a little library that helps people integrate with our tool. I don't know, maybe we want to try a, a community program. Hey, maybe we want to try building this thing where people can like interact with it and share generated selfies, whatever it is, right? Those, those projects fit in DevRel until they mature and then they move out. Mm-hmm. So DevRel is a really good Treating experimental DevRel as round. your first customer, basically. Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah, customer zero. Yeah. Yeah. And also as your low-risk experimentation, mm-hmm. when you don't have engineering resources to try something, you don't have a marketing team, 
you can say like, Hey, Devrel, y'all want to go build something fun and see if people vibe with it and like want to yeah. share it. Yeah. And they, and like, of course we do. Of course we want to go build that. That's the best part of the job, <laughs> right. or at least for me. Yeah. And, and so I actually think that that's one of the best things a startup can do is, is invest in, but you have to get the right Devrel. You've right. got to get the, the chaos monkey, creative tinkerer that loves that, like, it's unstructured. I want to do a little bit of everything. I have no rules, and that actually makes me feel good, not panicky. <laughs> and then you need to give them the flexibility to be able to continue doing that. Because yes. as soon as the company gets more mature, mm -hmm. and you start to say, oh, okay, now we need you to go write this, 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 this. Now we need you to go do these official things. That person who is fantastic at that chaos monkey, break all the things, let me see what I can do, what's going to attract people, is going to be so turned off to that yeah. that they're either going to leave and take their audience with them because they're going to have a following, or you're going to wind up just burning them out completely because it's not the role that you hired them to do. Mm. And that's the biggest thing to me and the probably the biggest thing that I've learned in the last three and a half years of being at Kamunda is hiring for the goals that you have for the team, mm -hmm. not hiring the team that you think you should have moving mm -hmm. into it, right? So in October of last year, we actually restructured our team. We had a team of 13. I'm looking at Mia because they're on the <laughs> um, Sounds right. Probably true. 13-ish people. And we have a team now of seven of us mm. because we moved one of our developer advocates to the developer experience team because they were really focused on SDKs. We moved the developer experience team to engineering mm. because they were working more closely on documentation and the SDKs and needed to be more closely coupled with the engineering team. We moved another developer advocate to our product marketing team as a technical writer and a technical content creator who could do those SEO articles and things like that. So we kind of looked at the team and said, okay, we need a better focus as a team because we're doing 18 million different things. And also there's other areas throughout the company that could better use the skills that are on our team to fill the needs that they have. And so looking at it in the sense of here's the goal that we need to achieve. Here's the things that we're working toward. Does our current team fit that? Is if, if I could start from scratch, is this still, not the people, but the roles that I would hire for right. is a very different question to ask. And it's not an easy conversation to have to have with yourself sometimes. Um, but I think approaching it in that manner helps to solve a lot of those, like, what's our focus? Where are we going? What are we doing? Who do we need? And how do we then hire for those roles specifically without it being a 28 different responsibilities right, that you're supposed right. to have. And it, and it seems like it, it that is kind of the, the feast and feast or famine situation where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, so either I have one person who's doing Dev DevRel regardless of title and I'm expecting them to do absolutely everything or I have 250 people on this team and they each do one thing but not all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that both of those situations are toxic for lack of a better term. Um, like I feel like you can be a single DevRel at a startup where there's seven or eight people and things are flexible and things are flying. And then as the, the company grows to 50, well, there should definitely be at least another person there um, who has a different experience. And that's like, like when Mia, you mentioned you had a, a background in marketing and came into DevRel. Yeah. That's an unusual thing for DevRel. It's super beneficial for so many teams mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't understand that they're, and I know people are going to be shocked I'm going to say this. <sighs> There's a Wait, marketing there. aspect to the things that we do in developer relations. Ooh, developer you relations heard it here, folks. Be under marketing? That's, that not what what <laughs> oh, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. 
not what I said. We're Actually, spicy. I, I agree with what Ben said. Whenever I think about, whenever anyone asks me, where should DevRel sit in an organization, I refer to, like, and this shows my age a bit, the old star network diagram where the mainframe sits in the middle and there's a bunch of nodes that go out to the side. DevRel is in the middle because we mm. should be reporting to the CTO. We should be reporting to sales. We should be reporting to engineering and product and marketing and everyone else. The only people we don't report to, HR. <laughs> One of the things that, that Sarah Drasner did at Netlify that I thought was brilliant is she, she basically like leveraged the fact that they wanted to hire her to make developer experience into its own department that reported direct mm. to the, the mm-hmm. leaders, mm-hmm. like the, mm-hmm. the co-founders. Yeah. And it was specifically because there's a great reason for developer experience or DevRel to report to engineering. Also a great reason for it to report to marketing and to sales mm-hmm. and all these different yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. But as soon as you actually move the reporting lines, the incentives twist. Yeah. And yep. and so it has to be like using your, you know, there's a reason that like bicycles have spokes. Mm-hmm. Right? It's you need to like balance those tensions mm-hmm. and, and really make that work. And, and yeah. I think putting DevRel as a hub between everything is is. Like, it, I feel like that's one of those things where everybody would say, well, of course we should be the center of everything. But I, I think it's more of, I think it's more that. I think that's what I said. But Well, I think it's, it's more that like in DevRel, because it is a, a discipline that doesn't really have like, it's, it's not a contained set of tasks. Mm-hmm. I've always, I've always used the, the analogy of like DevRel is a turbocharger. Mm-hmm. If you just have a turbocharger, it is a hunk of metal that does very little. If you have a well-functioning engine, a turbocharger makes it run faster mm-hmm. and more powerful. So that's DevRel. You are, you're putting it into a well-functioning company, mm-hmm. but it has to be beholden to all of the parts of the machine or you're going to be out of balance. And not only beholden to, but also getting things from them, yeah. Yeah. right? It's Par- a, partnered with is maybe yeah, a better. Partnered with, there yeah. you go, yes. Yeah, yes. Um, oh gosh, I have so many interesting thoughts. Or like so many <laughs> things I want to share. <laughs> Hopefully they're interesting to people that aren't me. But um, I was a program manager in my last role. And when I was interviewing, I knew I wanted to do something with DevRel. And I knew I wanted to be more on the community side or more on the sort of behind the scenes rather than like in front of the camera DevRel. And I I talked to who would eventually become my boss. And I said, "Okay, I don't have the technical skills you're looking for. Here's what I do have. I have the organizational skills so that you can actually build a strategy and actually get things done. And he said, let me give me a week and I'll get back to you and ended up making the role for me that was a program manager which is amazing that's never happened to me before in my career and it felt like a a milestone moment of like wow I convinced someone I'm worthy of something right Mm, um but that really says to me like there's this value that a lot of teams are not recognizing in organizing the work organizing the strategy and I think coming from marketing where everything starts with the strategy, mm-hmm. whereas sometimes in DevRel, I feel like there's a focus on tactics or like we're making content for the sake mm-hmm. of content because we're yeah. a content machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just have a team of really expensive technical writers. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think that's a thing that I find to be underserved in DevRel is the strategy aspect and how valuable people are that can do that, whether or not their expertise is in engineering. Yeah. But I think this brings up a good point as well because I mean one of the things that I've seen is a lot of a lot of places will say we need to develop a content strategy, and it's like no, you're not actually asking me for a content strategy. What you're asking me is for a list of blog post titles that you plan for me to. Similar, you're asking me to hit the SEO marks that you right. want because mm-hmm. I'm under marketing and that's what you think is the metric. And it goes back to the biggest problem in DevRel, like what metrics are the right metrics? Right. 
Well, if you're working in marketing, it's how, many, how much top of funnel activity do you have? And if you're working in sales, it's how many people actually become monthly active users. Or if you're, you know, if you're under product, it's how are we actually improving the product, product based on the feedback? Are you even collecting feedback? Um, and, and so many of these places, especially when it comes to strategies, like we have a content strategy, cool. Are you tracking where people are coming into the blog? Or are you just mm -hmm. saying, we've had a 10% increase in blog posts? Yeah. Yeah. And, TJ, you've hit metrics, which is like one of my topics that I have <laughs> obsessed about recently. Because yeah. ex you're exactly right, because metrics are just impossible. DevRel third rail? DevRel <laughs> third rail to get involved in, in entirely. And I, I said, and I've said it a few times, that you have to create compelling metrics for your team that connect back to the origin story for why your team it was creating the company to begin with. Mm -hmm. And the simultaneously, you also have to prove value to the teams that depend upon you and that connect to you. So those are metrics that are going to not necessarily be native to maybe the landscape of the language that you speak, but they're going to be metrics around sales, metrics around marketing, metrics around all the other teams that are part of your landscape in the company because they are reporting about what you do for them. And if you don't take ownership over that narrative, mm -hmm. over what they're reporting, then they're going to take ownership over that narrative and going to construct that for you and for your team. And ultimately, that's about the future viability and long-term success of the team lasting in a company to be able to do the work that it wants to do. And then there's the whole other question, right, which is how do you create metrics for your team qua your team? What is what is success for a DevRel team once you figured out how to own the narrative of a, you know, of how we want to present ourselves in, in this sales funnel. Mm -hmm. Even though if we're not sales, we need to present but once we get past that stage, well what is what is the metrics that matter to us? Mm -hmm. Like it, I don't think it's gonna be blog clicks or blog views, that doesn't seem very compelling. And we can all argue about why that's not compelling, probably in really compelling ways. <laughs> but then if it's not those things, then what is it? What is it? And we have to be able to clearly state it within like 60 seconds, right. which is super hard for me to do because I'm very long-winded. It has to be, like, it has to be long, short, an executive brief summary for people reporting up and across. Because yeah. if we can't do that, then we're just not going to succeed. Right. So right. I, I have maybe a nuclear take on this, but so I, well, I was spicy to nuclear. This is really, uh, <laughs> so I, I was the, the VP of dev developer experience at Nellify. And while I was there, I w spent most of my time campaigning to just like abolish most of the team specific metrics mm. because they're a huge waste of time. And I actually think that making team specific metrics is a, an exercise in like administrative procrastination that actually makes teams less functional. Mm. And my, my reasoning for this is the reason that the company exists is to make something valuable that people want to use that they're willing to pay for. And so the way that you measure that is, are people finding us? Are the people who are finding us signing up? And are the people who are signing up sticking around? Right? Those are the only three metrics that matter. And everything else is just us playing corporate chess so that we can own a metric mm -hmm. instead of just all taking ownership for the metrics that we should care about. So what I was always pushing for at Netlify is that like developer experience should be measured by how engaged, like how activated are our users. And we had come up with scoring to say that like somebody who uses our platform has you know, done certain things that made them a level one, level two, or level three activated user. So I argued that our job should be to increase the proportion of level three activated users and, and try to help increase the overall number of users total. Mm -hmm. 
I got pushback on that because like, well, of course product's also responsible for that. Engineering's also marketing's all. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the whole point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But you know, there's the world that is and the world that should be. <laughs> and I think you had the privileged position as a VP in the company to push for those things. For those of us who are, you know, managing teams or mm -hmm. who are senior ICs or ICs of any level, we have to operate and live in the world that is yes while whilst we're also pushing for the world that should be so in the world that is we're living in a world of corporate chests and owning things and if we don't master that world we won't stay long enough we won't mm. be there long enough to even get to the to what should be i i have such a good story about this so um we have been mary and i have been working on a community health metric um and one of the things i was just like blasted to the past when you were talking about this um, at a previous company I worked for, one of our success metrics was uh, active developers, like active users. And they took the number that was in our tool that said, this is how many users we have every month. And then they decided, well, people usually share an account, so let's multiply that by three. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by three. Or uh -huh. six or something. It was a much larger number than you'd expect. Um, because I think their argument was like, well, probably people are only paying for one account, but there's like 20 people using it. Um, which is very verifiable and a great way to measure things. But really, to me, it said... If you could hear PJ's expression. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it said that leadership decided that we need to hit a number that is unreasonable. We have found a way to hit that number. Yeah. Sort of. Um, <laughs> and this was a much larger company, so this is very, to me, indic indicative of, like, when you get to a larger company and you don't have the privilege of being in a higher-up position, you have to say, okay, what can I do to make my team look good so that people know I'm doing work and people know I'm contributing. And if that includes multiplying things by six, because I don't know, that's part of it. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of time spent and a lot of time wasted on what essentially comes down to vanity metrics, because in, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if we think there's six people using, they're only buying one account. Right. right? right. So why was that our key metric is the number of users when we were just going to kind of make it up anyway? Yeah. It, this is the whole thing that kills me is like, <laughs> I remember that one of the things that we started getting pushed on was uh, blog views. Mm. Hey, we need to get more blog views. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? Like, what are we actually measuring? Right. Because I could go out and write a bunch of Buzzfeed style top 10 tech tips articles, get hundreds of thousands of hits and not a single sign up. And are we still happy about that? Yeah, is that no, what we want? No, of course not. Yeah. I was like, okay, then what are we actually measuring? Right. Yeah. Right. And that was get to the why. Let's that's underneath everything. Exactly. Because yeah. you have like your lead measure and your lag measure. Which one are we actually caring about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like some people are just going through the flow, and um, they they just go what feels natural. And natural for this podcast is for now we move into the checkouts. Conferences, meetups, and events always start with a code of conduct a model of accepted behavior that all attendees, staff, organizers, and speakers are expected to adhere to in order to keep a safe, inclusive environment. Callofconduct.com helps with reporting when that code of conduct has been violated. When an incident occurs, staff and organizers are alerted so issues can be resolved and everyone can feel safe and secure. Confrontations can be reduced via anonymous reporting, and a record of all incidents is provided after the event. Callofconduct.com is built to make organizers' lives easier, to create a safe and inclusive space for participants at an event, and to ensure everyone has the best experience possible.
Ben, what is your checkout? Uh, so recently I finished a book that's been out for a while, but I first got to it, uh, called Rationality by Steven Pinker. And I just really love uh, thinking deeply around how we think about things and what is different, what are different tools and frameworks to apply to help us think more clearly about you know the world that can often seem very confounding to us mm -hmm. and very overwhelming. Well, maybe we can apply some of these frameworks to help uh, achieve some clarity. Mm. Yeah. Well, mine's less deep than that. Um, <laughs> But on the way over here, I was reading a magazine called Chickpea Magazine, which is a vegan lifestyle magazine. It's anti-capitalist. They don't have any ads. They're only supported by the community. And it's really beautiful. It's very de design focused. So if you are interested at all in, uh, you don't have to be vegan, but all the recipes are vegan. Um, they have themed uh, issues. So the one I was reading on the way here was vintage. And they had like veganized, like uh, like classic yellow cake. And they talked about throwing mm. like a retro dinner party and things like that. Nice. Um, very well, sustainability minded as well. So if you're into any of those things, I recommend Chickpea Magazine, independent, independent press, good stuff. Jason. Uh, I uh, have been reading a book called Range uh, by an author whose name I've just forgotten. Um, <laughs> but the, we'll, I, we'll put it in the show notes. It'll be <laughs> the, the basic premise is talking about... Um, why you should consider becoming a generalist instead of specializing. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, some of the, the studies and research that's been done that shows that sometimes specialists have a tendency to perform worse than generalists at, at certain tasks. And so our tendency to drive everyone towards specialization is causing us to perform worse as a, as a mm. industry, society, et cetera, where we need kind of a balance. We need people to go broad and we need people to go deep so that we get the best possible results. Uh, and as a, as a web generalist, it is very much like a book that's confirming my own biases so that you know, <laughs> take it with that grain of salt. I was about to say, that sounds like the most positive affirmation for me having ADHD it, ever. It, <laughs> and it really, it really is. Like it's, it's really, really good, especially if you're somebody who's not like interested in going to the very bottom of why something is or how something can be done. It, it talks about how that can be a strength if it's applied as in, in that way. That's awesome. a really good book. Check awesome. it out. Uh, Mary. Uh, Piggybacking on Mia's magazine recommendation, um, I got sold on an Instagram ad, which is not normally a thing that I do. Oh, a little shout out to SJ on the I got hooked on an Instagram it's ad checkout. It's true. Oh, <laughs> SJ, we miss you. Um, but there's a magazine called Whalebone, and they focus on different topics every issue. And I think with a, a year subscription, you're like promised three issues, I think it is. But their, their statement on the website is three or more issues every year. And that more could be anywhere between four and like 10. So it's all dependent on how much time they have, how much content they've written, what's going on. But they're all themed. So I got a Dolly Parton one a couple months ago that's all Dolly history. All the time. All I'm, all Dolly I'm all in. Time. <laughs> I'm in. Exactly. Uh, the next one was Costa Rica. Like they're just, they're fantastic deep dives, beautiful magazine. And I have not had a magazine subscription in years, but highly recommend it. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. Physical media. Yes. Um, mine is also a book. It's, it's not a new one. It's a little bit of an old one. It's called Crossing the Chasm. I'm mm. sure a lot of people have heard about that, but it's also about product and moving from beginner stages into a more maturity. Um, and it's a great reminder for the, just the flow of how things go through a company. DJ. Very cool. Uh, my checkout, and Ben's going to groan about this because I've already talked about it for the 
t- the two days that we've been here. Um, rolling my I, eyes already. I, I got I got involved in this music app called Music League, um, and the way it works is you grab a song off of Spotify, you put it in, and there's a theme. So like One Hit Wonders or the 1980s or something along those lines, and you put it in, and the other members of the league then a playlist is created. Everyone votes on how well you met the theme or if they really like the song or how it works, and then at the end there's results, and you usually do five or six rounds. It's a lot of fun. You learn about a lot of new music. Um, and it's just, it, it's free. Just go out and have a good time with it. I, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Um, and on that, I also enjoyed the conversation. So Jason, yes. Mia, Ben, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, we really appreciate it. Appreciate uh, the spicy takes too. Spicy takes are always great for this takes. podcast. <laughs> spicy nuclear takes are the best. Um, but it, the quote that I had ready for this one is, it, it I felt like it was oddly fitting if, if brief. Um, but Tom Waits had a saying and it's, there's always cheddar in the mousetrap, baby. And I think that, that that kind of speaks a little bit to DevRel being broken, but we all keep getting sucked in by it anyway. <laughs> we ain't quit yet. Yeah. Um, but on that note, again, thank you so much, and we hope everyone listening and watching had a wonderful time. Uh, please continue to listen to Community Pulse, and thank you for the privilege of your time. Yeah. You've been listening to the Community Pulse. Find out more at communitypulse.io, on Twitter at community underscore pulse, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out our extra podcast, The After Pulse. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you